0: When Olympians win a gold medal, one thing they look forward to right after that is the, uh, the ceremony, the award ceremony in which they get to stand on those different platforms and receive their medals. That's something they've dreamed about since they were a child and now they have finally accomplished it and they are just uh, thrilled about being able to be part of that. However, those that were predicted to win and did not really don't want to be around that uh, ceremony. (laughs) That's the last thing they want to see or view. That's something very painful for them because they did not accomplish that. Today, as we finish our emphasis on rekindling the passion, the eternal view is very, very important how do we view it? For eternity ought to be a great motivation for us. Henry C. Morrison, the great missionary, uh, he served 40 years on the the African mission field. He headed home by boat. On that same boat was Theodore Roosevelt. Morrison allowed himself to get dejected when, on entering New York Harbor, President Roosevelt received a massive fanfare as he arrived home. And Morrison got to thinking, you know, I ought to get some recognition for 40 years in the Lord's service. Then that still small voice came into his heart and said, Henry, you're not home yet. And that is so, I think, perceptive of the motivations and the understanding that we need to have. When we think of eternal view, we cannot help but think of the Apostle Paul and turn with me to that wonderful final chapter that God inspired him to write, 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is a chapter that means much uh, to many, especially those of us that are in the ministry. In fact, that became uh, a theme passage for the ministry for me, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the first half of that chapter. And I'm very thankful for this. The Apostle Paul gives his own testimony and then through that um, early part of the chapter he pretty much says think right, react right, focus right, and then what we're going to look at, end Right. And in verse uh, 6, we have that very unique verse of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Right there you could see he had a very clear eternal perspective. He was ready to set sail. He was ready to break camp. That's what that concept is there And he was ready to go home. And I'd like to ask all of us this morning, how much do we really have an eternal view? Now all of us are thankful if we're true believers that we're going to heaven. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful for eternal life? But how much of a genuine motivation is the thought of seeing Jesus? How much is that affecting daily choices? How much is that affecting the decisions you're making about accomplishing God's will and do you know what God's will is for your life? And so I want to propose this morning that if we're going to have a passion that's rekindled, we need to have a deep motivation that comes from an eternal view. So first of all, we're going to look at the course that The Apostle Paul knew that he was to be on in light of eternity. And so these very well-known phrases uh, in verse 7 we're going to look at. First of all, I have fought a good fight. Now he's coming to the end of his life. He is in prison in Rome. This is the second time he's been imprisoned. And there's no doubt he is going to be martyred at the hands of Nero. He is now in a top security prison right under the imperial palace of uh, Nero. And so it was just a matter of days, maybe weeks, we do not know how long. But he knew very well that his time was short. And he he was able to say in light of his human existence being about completed he was able to say I have fought a good fight. If you just want to put it into plain words uh, translating it from the Greek I have agonized a good agony. In other words certainly it has the idea of the fight the spiritual warfare we're in but it's also the full strenuous involvement in the course of life that God had set down for him in his battle to accomplish what God wanted him to accomplish which was a fight which was like wrestling we find that in Ephesians chapter 6, it was intense, it was continuous. He said, I have fought fought a good fight. It is well-pleasing to God. That concept of agonizing, Colossians 4.12, often we quote this verse, Epaphras and the first imprisonment had come to see Paul, and when Paul uh, writes to the church that he was part of there in Colossae, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you... A servant of Christ saluteth you, always laboring fervently. There you have it. For you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. That's Colossians 4.12. And so that's a, that concept of just giving everything <clears throat> for the cause of Christ. 1 Timothy 4.10. For therefore we both labor... And suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. And then, two chapters later, First Timothy six twelve, fight the good fight of faith, agonize the good agony of faith, lay hold on eternal life, the things that are eternal. Whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Now, the Apostle Paul is putting this into the context here at the end of his life that his whole extreme radical giving of himself best illustrated in intense fighting or intense athletic competition, it's in the light of eternity as we're going to see in the next verse. If you do not believe that eternity is affected by your life, then there is no way you are going to go to the point of this kind of commitment and exertion. But if you believe that it makes an eternal difference, that God is pleased, and that there are consequences in the life of people that will last for eternity, and in your own relationship with God, that will last for eternity we're not talking about eternal life we're talking about being with the Lord in eternity then you do have the motivation to agonize to give of yourself to go out of the comfort zone to not just live the good life but to do whatever God wants to accomplish his will in the life and so we should be willing to go to any extent to accomplish God's will. Our problem is we do get tripped up. <clears> 1 <throat> Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, And every man that striveth, there we have it again, for the mastery is temperate in all things. If you're going to win the Olympic medal, if you're going to win the wrestling match, <clears throat> if you're going to win the fight, well, <clears throat> you are going to be temperate. You're going to be self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to attain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Years and years ago, Bobby Leach, an Englishman, startled the world by going over Niagara Falls in a barrel. Not the smartest thing in the world to do. But he wanted to uh, be the first to do it, and he went through it totally unscratched. I mean, it was amazing, and uh, the world gave him great acclaim. A few days later, he was walking down the street and slipped on an orange peel, and it severely injured himself. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh about him being injured, but is that not a lot like us? We can get all stirred, yes, that's right, eternity in view, standing before God. God's called us to do great things. And sometimes we'll get started on that and then we ignore the little things in our lives that trip us up. You see, the Apostle Paul said that we need to keep our body under. We need to to say no by the grace of God to ourselves. uh, We need to understand that, that even though we might have Uh, done some good things, we could be a castaway if we do not allow God to keep us right on the pathway. And things that that affect us um, are human thinking. We get tripped up by a lot of the different humanistic ideas of our day. Just simply pride, wanting acceptance, uh, wanting to achieve, trying to solve our insecurity problems by accomplishment. And we get out of that great Will of God that God has for us. Um, allowing feelings and emotions to control us. Maybe we're not afraid of really striving for the Lord, but then we get upset with someone or we get frustrated or uh, we get emotions uh, feeling sorry for ourselves and out of the battle we go. And then what we would normally think of when you read there from 1 Corinthians just allowing bodily passions to control. I tell you, we need to keep our eyes on eternity where we're going to be with Jesus. And of course, right now we have that relationship with him. And uh, if you know anything about training dogs, uh, one of the intense training of a dog that's going to be uh, very much under control and able to be used is to train a dog when you put meat or something very much that they would want to do, uh, to have, and you say no To train that dog to not look at it, but look directly in your eyes. And keep looking until they have the order to do it or to leave. Now that's a simple uh, illustration. I hope we're a little better than dogs, you know, all right. But uh, what do we normally do? We look at the temptation. But when we have an eternal view, when we have an eternal cause... When we're thinking beyond just the life that we're living right now, we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, when the temptations are around us and we are given to accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish, we look to Jesus and I'm telling you there's great victory. By the way, if you want victory over some of those besetting sins in your life, one of the best things you can do is get your eyes on Jesus and what He wants you to do with your life. Get that eternal cause. Get that eternal view. Get excited about serving the Lord. See the power of God in your life. If all of your doing is um, compartmentalizing, serving the Lord a little bit over here, but not really uh, passionate about what He's called you to do, well, it's going to be then a self-focused lifestyle, and you're going to get tripped up with those very things again. So, it's it's a great lesson there. So, we need to be committed to the value of the eternal. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 17, for our light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And then finish, I have finished my course. What a statement! That makes you think of the Lord Jesus and what He said. I have finished uh, the will of God uh, in several places. And so this means perform fully Fulfill all your ministry to the end. Hebrews 12, 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before, thee, before us. John 17, 4, I alluded to this, I have glorified thee, Jesus said to the Father on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now who are we to emulate in our lives? The Lord Jesus. And Paul said, Follow me as I follow Christ. And he finished his course, and Jesus, of course, perfectly finished his course. John 17:18, the Lord said, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also sent them into the world. John 20, 21. Then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Now, I want you to get this. Every person in this auditorium this morning, if you know Christ as your Savior, you have a very clear task that God has given you You are equipped both in how He created you and especially in how He has gifted you through the indwelling Spirit of God. And every one of us, just as much as the Apostle Paul felt that, and certainly the Lord Jesus felt that, every one of us, we are sent just like Jesus was sent to accomplish the will of God the Father here on this earth. That's staggering. Same commission. We're thrilled that Jesus finished the work, and we're so thankful for the example of the Apostle Paul that he finished his course. But we have the same commission. I'm telling you, you bring Paul in here, and you wouldn't be all that impressed by him. Now, you'd be stirred by, obviously, the power of God on him. But you realize, you know, he's just like us. You put him in a suit and tie. You know, he looked just, you wouldn't know him. In fact, you might ignore him. Shouldn't, but, you know, be easy to do unless you heard him speak and understood what, who he was. You see, he happened to understand that God had called him and he was willing to finish it. And that is so important for us to understand. As Mule says, it is a finished story. After all its exhaustion, after all the perils and all the things that he went through, and the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, he finished it. He finished it. H.I.A. Ironside, the great expositor, former pastor of Moody Church said, I will never forget as a boy how I used to be amazed as I heard an old preacher say in a public prayer, O oh Lord, keep my eyes on the Lord Jesus. Don't let me become a wicked old man. <laughs> I used to wonder why he prayed like that. <clears throat> but I have since seen many who had a testimony for Christ in their early days break down and become wicked old men because they got their eyes off Christ. Over and over, my father um, in his latter years used to tell me, I don't want to compromise. I want to finish my course. I do, I want to be the strongest that I have ever been by the grace of God in my ministry and the most active I've ever been. And uh, God granted that to him. He died with his boots on at a missions conference. And, uh, but he said I've seen too many of my friends become weak and folks you know uh, tragically we have this idea that well we put in our effort for God we'll help the church out when we're younger and have energy and time and then when we get a little bit older we'll just sort of do what we want to do folks think back, back about it if you had a, a number of kids you didn't have much time right all younger families uh, it's, uh, it's quite a challenge isn't it uh, no each phase and season of life is yes you have to adjust to it and enjoy it and embrace it but folks each of it is part of the accomplishing of the great course that God has God wants you to cross the finish line it's very important and then kept the faith he followed the rules for the race He didn't get outside of truth. He didn't accomplish things or become successful or try to move the work of God forward outside of the realm of what the Word of God said. You find that in the early chapter, chapter 2, where speaking of the Olympic runner, it says uh, in uh, uh, verse 5, and if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned, Except he strive lawfully. He goes along with the rules. If you're running track and you get out of your lane, you are as far as uh, on a uh, speed dash. Or if you get off of the race track or whatever, you break the rules, you are disqualified. And especially for leadership and for all of us, and we all affect others, that as we want to fight the good fight, and finish our course, cross the finish line, and by the glory of God, we need to stand for truth and live the truth and do it God's way. Um, Only a Spirit-filled believer can accomplish anything for the Lord. We've got to keep the Word of God. Folks, right now, evangelical believers are capitulating on all kinds of things, and there's all kinds of reasons that are given to do it. God honors his word. Faith is what allows there to be that glorious grace given. Tragic story is about a fearful railroad wreck that took um, a number of lives in Eastern State years ago. The train was uh, loaded with young people coming back from school and was stalled on a suburban track uh, because of what was known back then as a hot box. The limited was soon due, but a flagman was uh, sent back to warn the engineer to uh, uh, avert a rear-end connection. Thinking all was well, everybody was just uh, laughing and having a good time on the train, and uh, the train hands weren't worried about anything. Suddenly, the whistle of the Limited was heard, and, uh, and it came on with full force and crashed into this local train with horrible effect. The engineer of the Limited was saved only by jumping at the last minute Well some days later he and the uh, flagman were hauled into court and said uh, to the engineer did you not see the flagman warning you to stop? He replied but yes I saw it he waved a yellow flag so I took for granted all was well I slowed down but didn't think I had to stop. Well to the flagman what flag did you wave? A red flag. And he went right by me just like a shot. Are you sure it was red? Absolutely. Well, this was really for the court, really confusing. And they both were very insistent on their testimony. Well, the man was the flagman was asked to produce his flag, and he went back and got it and brought it. And sure enough, it was the red flag, but uh, it had been so exposed to the weather that it had lost its redness and had become yellow. And it was bleached out. It was just a dirty yellow. And I thought, you know, Bible-believing Christians, the closer they get to eternity, the clearer their lives in accordance with Jesus and His blood and all the realities of truth ought to be seen. And uh, that we need to finish our course by keeping the faith. Folks, this book is true, every bit of it. We do not have to capitulate to culture. We do not have to capitulate to the political correctness of our day. We do not have to feel intimidated, though there is a lot of bullying going on. Thy word is truth. That's why for uh, for the 36 years I've been here, behind me has been thy word is truth. This church is to be the pillar and ground of truth. We have no reason to exist if we are not true to the word of God. That's the only place where we will receive the grace and the power needed to be the lighthouse and to be uh, the transformation rescue station that God wants us to be. The Apostle Paul never wavered. He didn't dip any of them. Believe me, I know the pressures on many practical applications of Scripture to dip the flag, and there goes the clarity on the doctrines that are supporting those. Well, I spent a lot of time on that first point, but let's go just quickly to the final two, the crown. We read in verse 8, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. The crown, in the Greek athletic competitions it was but uh, a wreath of leaves, but it had the greatest honor to it. In fact, if a city had one of their own sons receive that wreath, when he came home, the city wall was partially taken down so that he could walk in and be the first one to walk through that opening. That's how honored it was in those days. The crown of righteousness is what is referred to here, is the crown of righteousness of a life lived by faith. How much righteousness do we have the ability to live in our lives? Zero. We are saved by faith, not by works of righteousness. That's how we are regenerated. And my friends, in the Christian life, we can have a victorious life, but it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is in our lives. As we surrender to Him and not depend upon ourselves and live according to God's Word, His very righteousness. See, so many people react to living a holy life because they look at it through the lens of self-effort. And folks, it's impossible, it's frustrating, it doesn't work. But it is thrilling, it is liberating when you realize that the Christ life allows you to live the uh, life of righteousness that we're made to live because we are made in the image of God. It, 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 the life of Christ enables us to please God by having victory over sin in our lives. In fact, that's shouting ground. Romans 8:4, that the righteousness of the law may, might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Colossians 3.3, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ who's perfectly righteous uh, in God. Aren't you thankful for that? So the very, folks I want you to get this, the very crown of righteousness really is the blood of Christ. You haven't lived nor I one righteous moment ourselves. I'm looking at people that live righteous lives, but we ought to be thinking Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the time. It's because of Him. It's because of Him. And so this crown, all that are in heaven will understand that, and they'll look at you if you have the crown of righteousness because uh, you have loved His appearing and you have lived for Him and had an eternal view. They're all going to be thinking Jesus, and that's exactly why we are alive, to glorify Jesus. The crown is anticipated because of of an awareness of God's miraculous grace. In other words, you know that the crown can be gotten. Not that you're better than anybody else or you have to have some special ability, but if you'll simply walk by faith and yield to Him and have an eternal view and realize this is but a speck in the line of eternity and that sooner than we know we're going to be standing before Jesus, we'll be excited because we can live so in a way that we can have the crown of righteousness years ago at uh, the headquarters of a bible memory ministry when a participant in their program reached their final year and book of verses they were told that a trophy had already been purchased for them and was waiting there at headquarters until they finished it our righteousness has already been purchased and if we will allow God to work, it's coming. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. See, the labor, and yet it was God's grace. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Every person in this room can have the crown of righteousness. From this point on, if you determine to surrender and walk in fullness of dependence upon god because you have a faithful savior who's already won the victory you can have the crown of righteousness isn't that exciting and the judge is the all-righteous one and he knows what he's done in us there's no doubt about this matter uh, all human work will be burned up first corinthians three twelve. now if any man build upon this foundation gold silver precious stones All that we do, self-will, self-desire, self-dependence, and be gone. Wood, hay, stubble. I want to say this carefully, folks, but our life now does make a difference in eternity. Oh, you'll be saved, and the glory of what you see is there. But the greatest privilege in the world will be to glorify Jesus. Some will, some won't in those initial days. That ought to bring a stirring to our hearts. He is worthy. John 15, 6, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you don't abide, you don't lose your salvation, but your life is like a vine branch, which is not even worth... Using for fuel, it's put in the trash heap. Christians really need to think about how much of Christ's work is seen through us. And then finally, the third point the crisis that it really comes down to is this matter of the last part of verse 8. And uh, let 's read uh, Let me read it again the whole verse henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing in sixteen twenty seven during the uh, Reformation, uh, when the papal authorities were going hard after uh, those who were uh, believing in justification by faith in Austria. A Bohemian nobleman, Wenselis of Badoa, was brought to execution for his faith. When he, was laid, when he laid down his head for the sword of the Jesuit ecclesiastics to make a... they came up to him and made a last effort to win him back to obedience to the church. He raised his eyes and, and said, as he put his intruders aside, I have finished my course, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness." Ah, they said those words were true for the apostle not for thee he said nay you forget what follows not to me only but unto all them also that love is appearing and so it's for all of us and so a love relationship is the key isn't that interesting it's the crown of righteousness, but it's on those that love Jesus. In other words, they so love Jesus and have an eternal desire to glorify him by a life that will show the hosts of heaven the greatness of the sacrifice of Christ. These that love him and love those that he loves to, to want to reach them and to be used of him who are willing to agonize the great agony to give their lives for the cause of Christ. Uh, it's to these that get the crown of righteousness. Why? Because as they're living that kind of dependent lifestyle, sacrificial lifestyle, the righteousness of God's being evidenced over and over again. If we're abiding in Him, if we love Him, we'll experience His love. As John 15:9, that great abiding passage said, "As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye, abide." ye in my love. John 15 10, the next verse, if ye keep my commandments, cherish them, hold on to them, obey them, value them, what I've told you, ye shall abide in my love, even as I've kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. So it really gets down to that. Who receives the crown of righteousness? Those who love Jesus more than anything else. And folks, we really have to be honest with ourselves. How much is that really there? That will bring an excitement. Third idea here, or second idea here in this point, there will be an excitement about the judgment seat. It will, you'll look forward to it. Why will you look forward to it? There's not trembling. He was looking forward. Why As he saw Jesus? He had finished his course. He had fought the good fight. He had kept the faith. He knew he had a crown of righteousness, therefore he was looking forward being before that righteous judge so he could glorify him. Second Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Oh, there ought to be great joy, not great fear about seeing Jesus. Oh, there's, believe me, it stirs me. I'd like to say there's no fear because you think of where you haven't really lived for God. But we need to just continue to move forward in allowing the life of Christ to control us. You know, if you're in the choir, well, you can sort of fake the words. If you're in the choir of life, you can think, you can fake people out that you're doing pretty, pretty well. But someday before the judgment seat of Christ you're going to have to sing a solo (laughs) except you won't have to sing that's a good thing except we'll be glorified so that'll be good but the point is you'll be individually there manifest before the the Lord eternal view how much is it affecting us it's real folks Paul got it we can too we're no different Let me just conclude with this statement by Luther. He only had two days in his calendar. Today and that day. Today and that day. Let's bow for prayer.